Does this sound familiar? You've been told that to become an effective leader, all you need to do is attend meetings and simply check off your commitments. But deep down, you know this approach isn't yielding the results you desire. The pain of feeling stuck in your leadership journey, yearning for the ability to affect change is all too real. In this week's episode, I sit down with a good friend of mine, Dr. Stephen Veal. He's a Johns Hopkins trained emergency medicine physician and a physician executive coach and holds the position of being the chair of the Leadership Academy for the Florida College of Emergency Physicians. In this particular episode, Dr. Veal shares his insights on becoming an effective physician leader and specifically offers tangible advice on giving feedback and understanding different perspectives and following through on commitments. Join us as we dive into the world of physician leadership and let's learn from Dr. Veal's journey. Welcome to Life, Love, and Leadership for Physicians podcast. Here, we explore the central topics of intentional life design, boundaries, health, wellness, and leadership for physicians. I am dedicated to helping you create meaningful structures in your life that support both professional and personal growth. Hi, I'm your host, Dr. Rachel Miller. I've tackled some of the same issues that many of us in the medical field struggle with such as creating meaningful connections, imposter syndrome, and having a life outside of the office. Join me each week as my guests and I tackle these topics and so much more. Delivering content that shows you the importance of investing time into yourself beyond caring for those around you. Tap the follow button so you never miss an episode. Hey, Steven, thank you for joining me today. And I'm excited to continue our conversations that we've had about physicians and leadership and um, the experience going from a full-time clinician to a physician in leadership. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yes. So one of the things that we have talked about in the transition from clinical work to leadership work is that, you know, we don't get that sort of training in leadership in residency and in medical school. And those are one of the reasons why it can be challenging for physicians uh, when entering leadership positions. What are some of your thoughts about why else it can be challenging for physicians in stepping into these leadership positions? I think that all physicians are comfortable being leaders on their team, whether you're the leader in the operating room or the leader of a resuscitation bay, physicians do get comfortable with those roles. But with that, I think we pick up certain ways of being a leader and those ways of being aren't necessarily helpful and don't translate well into other sort of leadership positions. In medicine, we tend to really reinforce a very, very strong, very direct leadership style. I'm the captain of the ship. Everybody follows what I say. Everything's going to be fine. And it's not necessarily an effective style of leadership in other situations. But because most physicians have been very successful with whatever leadership style they've adopted, when they're in a new situation and they have to employ new leadership skills, that can be very challenging for them. Yeah. So I'd love to hear the story again about how you went from being a full-time 
an emergency room physician to getting into leadership. Tell us a little bit about your story there. Sure. So I was practicing full-time as an emergency physician for about five years when our department chair uh, stepped down, who was the medical director of our hospital-employed group, and we had a couple of facilities he had stepped away uh, and the position became available. I had always been a little bit interested in leadership and so put my my name out there and and, and was selected. Had very little training or, or orientation to exactly what that would entail or exactly even what my job was. I knew what I thought it was, what I thought the previous director had been doing, but wasn't really sure what I was supposed to be accountable for. It was an interesting position because I really had to decide for myself what were the priorities for the department, what were we supposed to be doing. At the time, we really needed new positions, so I focused on recruiting and trying to set the uh, culture of the group in the way that I thought was appropriate. It was a little bit challenging just to even get my footing to figure out what it was that I should be trying to accomplish. If someone was in similar to you and had been out five, seven years and was looking at um, accelerating their leadership, whether it's emergency medicine or any other specialty, what sort of recommendations do you have for them as they embark on that journey through their leadership career? I think the best leadership advice I've ever gotten about trying to get into a leadership position is just show up and do what you say you're going to do. On the one hand, it's nice. It's you know that's really all that simple. On the other hand, it's sort of taken aback that that's the bar. But there really are not that many people that are willing to show up to try to change something that they want to see different, and that are willing to follow through on the commitments that they make. There are a lot of people who wish things were different, who are willing to complain about the way things are, but they're not showing up. And then you need to have the skill set to be able to follow up on the commitments you make. If you show up. You start showing up to the hospital committee meetings. You start showing up to your department meetings. Somebody will ask you to do something. There'll be something that you want to fix. Someone will ask you. And then if you do what you say you're going to do, someone will ask you to do something else. And then before you know it, you're going to be in a position to affect change. You're going to be in a position to to lead. It's a little bit sad that it's that small of a group. You know, It's an elite group of people that actually are willing to put themselves out there and have the skill set to affect change. Yeah. You know, it's interesting you talk about showing up, but I think that's great advice. And it seems when you say it, it's like, okay, well, yeah, you know, it's obvious to show up. But so many leaders out there just are not even visible and don't necessarily show up. They say they want to be in leadership and they call themselves a leader, but they're not even showing up. And I know for me in clinical medicine, I I really appreciate seeing my leaders being present, you know, being present in the hospital, you know, seeing them, whether it be labor and delivery or whether it's other meetings. There is something about being around the people that are leading you and as a leader, being around those that you lead. Yeah, and I think showing up and doing say is good advice to get into a leadership position to lead. It may not get you into a, a formal title. It may not get you into trying to step back on your hours and, and do something with a more structured schedule or other goals that people may have. But if you're looking to affect change in your department to be in a position where you're able to lead, that advice will get you there. You know, Sometimes people are in leadership positions for other reasons. Either they just 
sort of failed up into it or they they were passionate about it at one time and and just sort of started treading water at some point but there's a lot more that kind of goes into that but if you're looking around and thinking about the ways things could be different or how you would do it if you were in charge start showing up and and again you'll you'll, you'll find those opportunities to make a change to make a difference it's not a long list of people that are trying to be physician leaders yeah no that's so true also along that same vein of showing up and being visible it also helps with instilling trust in a team and when you are visible and you are seen by the people who would be above you and then those that you would lead it helps instill trust amongst the team and that's always it's always a good thing when, when people can trust you as a leader I also think it allows you to sort of understand where everyone else in the room is coming from. And it was interesting. And I I recall when I first started my MBA program and they sort of went around the room and, you know, people were talking about why they were there was it's only physicians and in this program. And most people said something to the tune of, you know, I want to learn how to think more like a hospital administrator so I can go tell those guys what's up, you know? And it was, there was a lot less of, I want to be able to understand it, what hospital administrators are thinking so that I can go back and bring that to my team or I can communicate that to my team or I can present solutions that are going to be more viable to them. So showing up is also not showing up so you can tell everybody what you think. <laughs> I, you know, Certainly you want to have everybody's opinion in the pool so you can make the right decisions, but it, it's showing up in a more metaphysical way and taking in what everybody else is saying too. Yeah, absolutely. When you started your leadership journey, did anyone look at you or treat you any differently? The reason why I ask is, you know, when I took on a leadership position, one of my partners said, you're going to the dark side. So I'm curious if you experienced any of that. And if you did, you know, what was that like? Yeah, I think especially, so we were a hospital-employed group. So when I stepped into leadership, I stepped into leadership not only for our group, but you know was literally a hospital administrator as well. And that's a group of people that physicians don't usually regard kindly. Um, and you hear you know other podcasts, and I remember a emergency physician CME podcast where somebody was you know tapping on the mic and saying, "Excuse me, hospital administrators," you know, and tried to you know get their message through that way. But it's you know the hospital leadership is really you know same team. You know we're we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to affect the right change, and we have different things that they're working with and different individual interests. But you know we're both there to take care of patients, and so I think when I've stepped into leadership that there is some of that and there is some of it that's from the team and it's some of it that I think you feel internally like you're not one of the guys anymore you can't just go out drinking and and run your mouth about everything you think is wrong with the hospital or what you think of that new doctor that the group hired and that can be hard and people do look at you a little different and because you are accountable and I remember having to give evaluations out to our APPs and having to grade them and, and, and give honest feedback to people. And that that's difficult, but it has to be done. I think I think of the great Colin Powell quote, when in charge, be in charge. You know, if you're in charge, those are things you have to do. You have to give honest feedback to people. You have to be, hold the group accountable. And I, I tried to focus on, you know, my first priority was our patients. Second priority was the group. And so my job was to make sure that we provided the best care we could as a group. And physicians, I think, are very accustomed to 
taking ownership of the patient, of the one patient they're seeing, and they are very proud of, of things that, and will stand up for them. And, and most of the time when there's disagreements, it'll be couched on you know everyone trying to do the right thing for the patient. When you go into leadership, they're all your patients. And you're responsible for patients that everybody sees, whether you personally saw them or not, and making decisions about protocols and who to hire and letting people go. You're still approaching it from that same perspective of the patient, but you can't do it yourself. And that can be challenging. And I think, yeah, it does separate you from the rest of your, your team. You know, I've heard that before, and you know, I experienced it myself, it being difficult to give feedback as a physician. What do you think contributes to making giving feedback so challenging for physician leaders? I think we know that the people we're giving feedback to are trying to do the right thing. Sometimes there's some uncertainty in whether somebody was doing the right thing or the wrong thing or what the right thing even means. I think that's one of the reasons we tend to provide metrics because metrics feel objective. They feel like they're more tangible, um, but quality in medicine is, is sometimes hard to put in the metrics. And so you're still accountable for those. One thing that I found is even times there may not be a clear expectation on what the right thing to do is. If you as a group, you know, some people do it this way, some people do it that way. It's hard to tell if they even did something wrong just because they did something different than you would. So step one was always sort of set an expectation or a standard. You know, we are all going to do it this way. And then at least you could say they did it right or they did it wrong because there's an expectation on how it's supposed to be done. And then if there's not one right way to do it, then you can sit down as a group and say, well, we're all going to agree to do it this way because there is some value in that uniformity. And if there's not, then then they probably weren't doing the wrong thing. But I think that part of it at first is just defining what, what it even means to do the right thing or the, the wrong thing. And I think the second part is it's just always difficult to give feedback and you know hurt somebody. And it took me a while to realize that it was almost like breaking bad news to you know, a family member about a prognosis or something like that. You, you deliver the bad news and then you just wait and you're expecting emotion. You're expecting defensiveness. You're just, it doesn't matter. Like don't address it on the surface level. Don't answer questions about where that number even comes from or how they got those metrics. Like it doesn't matter. They're just processing. It's just defensiveness. They will come back in 24 hours and you can have an actual conversation about it, but everybody is, is defensive and you expect that emotion and, and that, that makes it hard. Mm-hmm. What has helped you um, when going into a feedback conversation with someone, whether it be a physician colleague or an APP? I think the the first thing is be determined to have it. I think commit to yourself that that it's valuable. Mm-hmm. The patients deserve it. The physicians deserve it. People deserve honest feedback on their performance. And the patients deserve to have physicians that are getting honest feedback. Uh, so I think step one is just commit to doing it. Once you've done that, then it's the, the second part is, you know, how are you going to do it? So you want to make sure you're doing it in a timely fashion. You want to do it in a way that's helpful. I would usually plan the conversations out. I had never planned conversations before going into leadership, but I would actually write down, how am I going to start? What am I going to say? What are the likely reactions they're going to say? What am I going to say if they ask this? What am I going to say if they ask this? And these high stakes conversations you can map some of them out. Reading books like Crucial Conversations is, 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 I think, helpful to plan some of those out. And I think the third part is, 
it's easier if you've already told somebody what to expect. So when I started onboarding new people, you know, I went over what our expectations were. If somebody had worked in the ER for 10 years and had never gotten feedback on their their interactions with the nursing staff, it's going to be a big shock when I tell them that I think it's inappropriate and they need to change if they want to continue to work here. But if I am the one that onboarded them and I tell everyone, listen, this is how we approach these types of conversations. If I hear something that isn't up to our standards and I don't know who's having the bad day, I don't know if it was you, I don't know if it's them. But if I hear something, you should know that it got back to me. So I'm going to tell you. That's it. You can decide whether it's valuable or not. And if I hear it again, then we can say, okay, now I'm hearing a pattern of things. I'll come back to you again and we'll have a different conversation. And if that pattern continues, then we'll have another conversation. But if people expect that, then when you have that first one, you're still going to get defensiveness, but it won't be as much if they feel like they're going to have it. And they know if they come to you about somebody else that they know that you're going to have that type of conversation with them. Yeah, that's so true. And I definitely echo what you said about that book, Crucial Conversations. I read that book and actually took a course that was offered through a hospital that I was working at. And it is gold. So if anybody's listening and you have the opportunity to take that class through your hospital, I definitely recommend it. Probably about two weeks after I took that class, I had a situation with another surgical colleague. And this person was known to be, to put it gently, a a troublemaker. And so I used the techniques that I learned in that class to have a crucial conversation with that individual. And I mean, it was like magic, just (laughs) seeing the defensiveness come down. So I definitely echo the techniques recommended in that book and in that program. It's very helpful. I think when I first started in leadership too, I didn't have as much respect for books about communication or books about leadership style. They seemed like very soft science. And then over time, I really began to understand that there is science behind it and that there is utility to it. The comparison I make now is learning to read a chest x-ray or learning to read an EKG. You have a system and you've picked up a way of doing it. And some of the books in Crucial Conversation, a great example, they give you a way to approach those conversations. And then you can tweak it and adjust it as you get more Mm -hmm. experience and with time. But it gives you uh, strategies and techniques for different types of situations, including you know giving feedback. Um, what's another book that's been helpful for you in your leadership journey? I really like Extreme Ownership by Jocko Willink and Leif Babin. That book really spoke to me a lot about sort of the the attitude that I had and in, and in, in approaching uh, different situations and approaching leadership in general. And I like that they followed it up with the book dichotomies of leadership showing that you know most of the things that you're approaching leadership are in a balance between when to cut slack and when to hold the line when to take ownership of everything and when to realize that there's some things that you can't do um, and I, I found that it was a very relatable book and I think set the right standard of ownership and I think there's a lot of physicians that I've come across that are in leadership and in, and in my coaching as well that are sort of they feel like they're in the middle they're a junior leader or they're a department head, but they're in a a very large corporate entity and they feel like they are simply being handed instructions that they're expected to then hand to their team and they don't feel empowered. They don't feel like they can make a change or make a difference in what they're at. And I think the principles of, of extreme ownership would say that you still own all of it. And, you know, whether you're leading up the chain of command, you're leading down the chain of command, it, it really all comes down to you. And I think while 
that seems like a lot and you're you know, all of a sudden you're accountable for everything in your world that you touch or see or do it's also empowering and you start to realize that you do have more control than you think and you can affect more change than you thought you could once you just take ownership of it that was a a big piece for me and i think i still carry those principles with me and in, in, into new jobs and new roles yeah, no, that's good. I, I actually haven't read that book. I've heard of that book, but um, I have not read it yet. So I'm going to have to add that to my list. <laughs> and hopefully it's on Audible so I can add it to my uh, my list of things I need to read. It is Audible and the authors read it. Oh, great. You know, they're both Navy <laughs> SEALs and they sound like it in the book. They sound like they could kick my butt. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'll add that to my list. Definitely. Well, before we close, I wanted to ask you a few quick fire questions. All right. I know you live in Florida. So my question for you is, which beach in Florida is the best beach? Oh, my beach. Uh, New Smyrna. (laughs) New Smyrna. New Smyrna Beach is just south of Daytona. Okay. All right. And it is, it's the best, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'll keep that a secret. (laughs) I also know you like to hike. Where's your favorite place to hike? Ooh, I think that, uh, I don't love fair, but it's just, we had the most fun there is in Northern Georgia and Amicalola, which is sort of on the approach trail to the Appalachian Trail. There's something called the hike and it's a five mile hike to it. And then there's an inn there. You can stay there. There's not electricity, but they, you know, they cook and you get dinner and you can get breakfast and you can stay for two nights if you want. But it was just very, very fun. And I I was able to do it with my kids. I think they were six and three at the time um and uh the one uh, he had to be four because uh, he made it the full five miles and we didn't carry him <laughs> he was pretty upset about it but uh he made it the whole way and um it was just a really good time so i, I would recommend that uh amicola in north georgia and the the hike in uh, okay but you said there's no electricity right there is not yeah my children would have a hard time with that because you know they're addicted to their tablets so <laughs> I don't know how long they would last. Uh, we did, <laughs> yeah, we did let them bring it. I think in their pack, the family rules are: if you carry it, you can have it. So if you, okay. you if they carried the tablet the five miles up the mountain to the end, then uh, then they could have it. And if they were smart enough to carry a battery too, then <laughs> okay, <laughs> then they could have it. <laughs> Survival techniques for teaching your kids. So that's great. <laughs> Last question I have is: How old were you when you learned how to kayak? Ooh, I don't think I did it till I was an adult. Okay. The, um, I think it just increased in popularity. I think I was the sit on top kayaks that are popular kind of in the beach. I don't know if they had them when I was younger. I felt, always felt like if um, the, the ones you sit in, I was going to get trapped in if I flipped over or something, which is maybe just an un- unreasonable fear, but especially in Florida where it's, it's just all flat. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I would say probably my 20s. We have up here in the Charlotte area, and we have the Whitewater Center um, place. So if you're ever up here in this area, you have to try the Whitewater Center. That's a fun place to go and um, and have a good time. Nantahala? Yes, Nantahala is great as well. But the Whitewater Center in Charlotte, it's a, it's a national training center for whitewater rafting, and people go kayaking there as well. And it's a great place for family, friends to gather. So they've got lots of rapids there. And so it's a good time. During St. Patrick's Day, they'll color the rapids green and they'll change it to uh, (laughs) pink for like breast cancer event. They'll change it to orange for Halloween. So it's a lot of fun. So if you're ever around the Charlotte area, that's a great place to go. Very nice. 
Thanks for joining me um, in this conversation today. I really appreciate it. Your insights were very powerful. And I think that the listeners will get a lot from the insights that you shared today. So thank you so much. Much appreciated. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to this Life, Love, and Leadership for Physicians episode. Did you have an aha moment? I'd love it if you shared it with me on Instagram at drrachelmillermd. That's drrachelmillermd. If you love the show and want to hear more, follow the podcast and give me a rating and a review. If there's a specific topic you'd like for me to cover or a guest you'd like for me to have on the show, please let me know. I love your suggestions.